Welcome to the Antisocial Podcast. I won't tell you what day it is because I can't remember what day it is. Because I'm sweating so much. I'm in my little office at my house. I have no air conditioning and I swear it's 40 degrees in this room. And um, I've just spent the last uh, hour, hour and a half um, talking to the guest of this week's episode, which I'll get to in a moment, but I am feeling like I'm about to hallucinate and, uh, I have, I've almost feel drunk with, uh, <laughs> with borderline heat stroke. So, um, I won't spend too much time talking, but, um, you know, naturally I don't want to have any fans on or doors open because you just get a lot of background noise. Anyway. Thank you so much for tuning in, as always. Um, before we get started, thank you so much for those that have voted for the podcast on the Castaway Awards website, the Australian Podcast Awards. If you haven't done so yet, you can go to castawayawards.com.au and go to the popular vote section and you can vote for your favourite Australian podcast. And even if I'm not your favourite Australian podcast, you can vote for me anyway because I think you can vote for more than one podcast. Some friends that are on there include Screw and Quebec breakfast show and pod Kembler. So, uh, definitely give them a vote as well. They definitely deserve it. Um, hopefully it will lead to a good outcome and I'll be the winner. But, uh, so far there's a few, uh, podcasts that are definitely leading the charge, but, uh, any vote will be definitely worth it. And it brings an extra bit of exposure to this podcast with more listeners. So, um, it all helps. So thank you so much for those people that are taking the time to, to do a vote. So castawayawards.com.au. If you are interested in any of the show notes from this episode or any of the other previous episodes, you can go to andysocial.net. I try to put links up for most things that we talk about in the episodes um, and main resources to contact the people that I speak to. Um, there's also ways to support them as well. So if it's a musician, there'll be links to their web stores and online stores and blah, blah, blah. But most people, um, I think the best thing is just to reach out and say hello and, and just let them know what you thought of the, of the episode of the podcast itself. As I always ramble on about these, uh, these people are taking time out of their busy day to day lives to have a chat to me about all sorts of things. And, um, I love to try and repay them as much as possible with giving them a tiny little bit of exposure. Most of these people don't need it. And, uh, I'm just a tiny little podcast, but you know, it all helps. And, um, and I know that a few of you do reach out and say hello to, to some of the guests that I've had on previously. And I know that, uh, sometimes can have a bigger impact than than the number of listeners and, and exposure that uh, the podcast may bring. So thank you so much for those people that have been doing so. Um, if you do want to support this podcast, uh, um, in addition to voting for it on the Castaway Awards, uh, you can like, share, comment, um, heart, whatever the social media functions are on YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Um, I'm sure there's a million other – Tumblr. There's a million different places. Um all these things help the podcast. It helps it reach more people, exposes to, to more people and, and blah, blah, blah. You know, you know how it works. So that's a very easy thing to do. And especially with a stupid platform like Facebook, where, um, if nobody's liking something or, or interacting with it, Facebook just makes sure that that post remains hidden so no one can view it in their newsfeed. So, uh, if you do see it pop up in your newsfeed as you're scrolling through on your, on, uh, on your day to day happenings, um, just flick a quick like on there because it will give it a little tiny boost to reach more people. It's very, it's very, very 
very good for me. Um, if you want to do something a little bit more, you can go to the uh, Amazon portal on my website, andysocial.net. If you are a regular Amazon shopper, um, this link is a unique link that is linked to myself. And what it does is when you buy something from Amazon, as per normal, I get a small percentage of what you buy. And it's a very, very, very tiny amount of money. But it does add up when a number of people are doing it. Thank you very much to those people. Uh, and that money does help go towards my monthly or regular expenses to maintain the podcast, whether it be gear, um, uploading, hosting, some travel here and there, whatever it might be, um, it all sort of um, adds up and um, it's a labor of love and I'm certainly not here to make any any money or any profit, but um, it's a cool little thing to get a little bit of money back that um, helps cover some of the costs anyway that uh, to, that makes uh, this podcast uh, exist. So um, that's another way of doing it. So you can do it at antisocial.net, you can find the link there, or you can be very smart, go to the website once, do a right click on the link, and then you can save it to your bookmarks uh, in your phone or on your uh, desktop browser, favorites bar or whatever you call it. Enough of that. This week's guest is a very interesting guest. Um, a little bit left field for me because uh, he's come from a recommendation from a good friend. And um, I this is the first time I've actually spoken to him. And I had a number of questions that have been passed on to me and different interesting things about this person. So you will find that uh, this episode is a little bit all over the place. It's definitely a conversation more so than an interview, so to speak, which I kind of like because it's we sort of just go with the flow and see where it takes us. So there's no real structure to this. There's a lot of interesting things that um, that this week's guest has been involved with and uh, has travelled to a number of different places around around the globe and had a number of different uh, and interesting experiences. So this week's guest is a is a guy by the name of Nathan Sudoti. I probably butchered his surname. Sorry, Nathan. And uh, Nathan um, does AV work um, at the moment, but um, has a a long history in doing um, AV and and sound engineering and um, has been uh, heavily involved in that sort of aspect of the industry, but um, involved in music and whatnot. Um, He's traveled the world. He's lived in uh, a number of different places. Um, He's had, uh, he's, He's worked and uh, associated with a number of weird and wonderful people, which uh, he touches on a few of them in this episode. And um, and this is really interesting. It, it it was a bit slow getting started, and um, we had a quick interruption to begin with. But um, once we got into it and started talking about some of the some of the things about um, various places that he's lived in, such as Shanghai and um, Bali and uh, uh, what was it, Honduras. Did I, did I say that right? Probably not. <laughs> and uh, Copenhagen as well. And um, and once we started talking about a lot of that, um, we really sort of uncovered a, a lot of cool stories and experiences that uh, that Nath's had over the years. And um, my big takeaway from this, and he even pointed out um, earlier on in the piece of the conversation, that he's not somebody that is uh, spending his money on material possessions. He's always spending money on experiences. And um, this is something that... I'm personally going through at the moment, you know, decluttering my life and, and, uh, not finding the same thrill in, in acquiring, uh, objects and things like that. And I'd much rather spend my money on, uh, 
meeting people and having experiences and getting out there and whatnot. So this really sort of uh, struck something with me and I got quite excited when he mentioned this. And and in a way, he was almost forced to have this way of thinking by travelling so much. So um, there's a lot of cool perspectives that he has. And um, at one point, he, he mentions his, his battles that he has when he looks at people that have a bit more of a stable life and have sent, spent uh, a little bit more time uh, pursuing their careers and, and whatnot. And um, I think uh, it's all about perspective. And as he said, the grass is always greener on the other side. And I think um, when, it, when it all boils down to it, um, the experiences that you have, the people that you meet and the things that you learn along the way are far more valuable than um, acquiring assets or acquiring objects and material possessions and whatnot. And um, there's always exceptions to the rule, but um, I think I think when it all, all boils down to it, I think Nate's uh, definitely on the right track and has the has the right uh, the right idea when it comes to to enjoying life. So I'm so sorry. Enough of this. I'm talking way too much. So enjoy this episode with Nath and I'll have a few more comments at the end of the episode to wrap it up. Thanks, guys. I guess maybe just for people that don't know who you are, I mean, I mean, you don't have to say who, who you are and what you do, but I guess, you know, what's, uh, what are you up to these days? What's your, what's your main sort of, uh, well, I was going to say time waster. It's not the right thing to say, but what's the thing that's taking um, up most of your time at the moment? I guess basically work, like with most people. Um, I guess, yeah, with the realisation of coming back to Sydney is, uh, you asked me six, eight months, or you asked me a year ago whether I'd end up back in Sydney. I'd probably say no way, but all of a sudden I've ended up back in Sydney. So it's just sort of dealing with getting my head around being back in Sydney. And, yeah, thing that sort of I get a bit of a time waster for me and something that I've bought today, which is a bit of a midlife crisis and something I wanted to do for a long time is I bought myself an old Holden. Oh, yeah, nice. Doing it up. Yeah, so I sort of sneak in the garage every now and then and try and get a bit of time on that. It's an old 67 HR Holden. Nice. It's in pretty good nick, but I've something I've done a few motorbikes before, but I've always wanted to do a car. So, uh, yeah, I bought a car and, you know. Does that link into what you said the other day about um, giving yourself a resolution for, for this year of uh, staying away from your phone on the weekends so you can dedicate time to doing stuff like that? Uh, no, it's just something that I've just been aware of, and it's something I noticed, you know, with my wife too. She's She's very good at sort of... You know, if you sit at the dinner table, she won't bring the phone out. If people around you doesn't bring the phone out, but I noticed that I'm somebody that... I wouldn't say I'm a nutter with a phone, and I, but I'm quite comfortable just to sit at home with a laptop while watching TV, yeah. and I not being on Facebook, but just reading about stuff. Like I, you know, a lot of searching about the car and a lot of learning about the car, and then I sort of sort of turn to Joyce and go, "Oh, it's, even though we're just watching TV, you still don't have your attention space in that time at yeah. the moment of time, you know." So yeah. I'm just trying to respect that a little bit more. And on the weekends when I'm in with her, I'm just trying not to. You know, reply to every text that you get straight away and trying to keep off the work emails and stuff like that unless they're important. Uh, yeah, yeah. No, I hear you. It's, um, props to you because it's, it's not an, in, not an easy thing to do. And, um, I think until you actually attempt to try and stay away from the phone that you realize just how much, well, la- laptop as well, but you just realize how much time you actually do spend each day or each week, uh, mucking around with, uh, you know, even whether, whether it be work or, or personal or anything like that, just being stuck to a screen. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. I mean, I'm quite lucky. I don't sit in front. My old job in Shanghai is to sit a little bit more in front of the screen, but at the moment I don't stay much, so it's not too bad. But, you know, when people can work all day in front of the screen and then come home and sit in the front of their laptop or their phone, and, I mean, it's just unfortunate, I guess. I mean, a lot of my time spent, like, learning stuff and that. You know, I can't just pick up a book and do it. So whether it's any worse than a book, and I'm not sure, but, you know... 
it's just more about just having a bit more attention, you know, focus on the people around you rather than what's happening, you know, on the other side of the internet. No, that's it. That's it. I'm still working on that. I'm a work in progress. <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah, it's not easy. Fair but, um, no, not at all. Uh, do you do um at the moment? You're sort of doing AV sound sound engineering. Is that what's uh, what's the main sort of occupation that you're up to at the moment? I work as an audio visual install technician. So okay. yeah, yeah, I've done um, production and sound engineering. On you know previously, and I did a bit of it when I sort of met Reese and on the side, more of a hobby. I wasn't really getting paid for it in Shanghai. Yeah. But I mainly do the install stuff, and it's mainly like corporate integration. Like, you know, when you go to a boardroom and there's projectors and yeah, high end control systems and speakers and ceilings. And I used to do more pubs and nightclubs. Nowadays, all the money is in integration through offices and corporate buildings. You know, this week I've worked in a 150 year old uh, courtroom down in Picton. And last week, when I couldn't talk to you, I was working in a jail at Berrimar. And, uh. you know, Oh. So, yeah, there's good variety. I guess as as the rest of the world catches up to technology, someone's got to be there to make sure that they uh, they understand it and obviously have it have it installed and, and they're ready to go. Yeah, so, exactly, yeah. exactly. And it's a bit of a boom at the moment, you know, oh, yeah. the real video conferencing. And, again, what we're talking about with the internet stuff, everybody wants to be on the internet, so everybody wants access straight away and, you know, everyone's doing business over video conferencing rather than, you know, it's quite interesting. We, we can install uh, one TV screen and a camera and it can cost you know, anywhere from, to $50,000, $60,000 just to buy it. But then, they, you know, the, the CEO turns around and goes, well, that's, uh, you know, it's half a year's flight for a couple of my staff to fly to Melbourne to do a meeting when I can just do it, you know, via video conferencing now. So it all adds up. That's it. Justifies the yeah. cost, absolutely. Yeah, well, exactly. A good uh, a good industry to be in at the moment, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's kind of interesting. But yeah, it's just mainly to step away, I guess, from the sound engineering, just because mainly the hours, you know, I work nine to five, Monday, or not nine to five, but, you know, tradie hours, Monday to Friday, as opposed to late Thursday nights and late Saturday nights when gigs are on, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Especially um, sort of coming from, a music background myself. I mean, I, I do the the nine to five grind, but some also you know playing over the years and and whatnot. So I mean, yeah, pretty much, yeah. From from a Thursday night right up until a Sunday night, you're 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 out of action. I mean, it's I could think of worse worse things to do with your time, but um, oh yeah, but totally. If, but if you've got other things in life as well, it uh, it can certainly take up a lot of a lot of time. Yeah, totally, totally. Well, one thing I was going to say is um, with your sound engineering that you've done in the past, uh, <laughs> I was told that you've done some pretty interesting stuff in the past. Uh, apparently, you did some early tours with the Wiggles. Yeah, that was just around New South Wales and a few shows. Yeah, right. That was just at the very – I used to work for a, a guy who was um, quite prominent in the theatre industry, yeah. like being a sound engineer for theatre. So that was sort of how I got into the in the industry. I worked with him for the first six months kind of thing for free. And then I worked with him for about five years. And one of those tours was uh, just doing a show with the Wiggles when I first sort of started up. <laughs> and again, Reese sounds more glamorous than that it actually was. It's like, dude, it was just a gig like it wasn't really. He's like, it's the Wiggles. <laughs> but yeah, no, yeah, no, it was kind of quite cool. It was, it was actually doing universities and stuff when I was sort of, I don't know, just getting your name out and about. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I assume that, um, as you said, like getting a foot in the door to begin with, with doing the theatre stuff and doing it for free is sort of like, I guess, a, sort of an informal internship in a way to sort of get yeah, get your foot in the door, I guess. Yeah, basically. I just did it. I remember in the old days, I just did it. I didn't know what I wanted to do and that sounded good. So I just did a 
lot of um, emails out to a whole lot of people and then, you know, I just said, look, hey, I'm prepared to work for free with you, you know. Oh, so that, um, that's yeah, even better because you, you didn't even, like, know anyone beforehand. You pretty much, like, more or less the cold call vers- uh, version of email. Um, you mentioned before you're at- you were in Shanghai for a while there. How long were you in Shanghai for? Uh, six years. Oh, shit. Okay, so that's a long time. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and you were doing work for, was it the World Expo over there? I went over for a contract for World Expo for a year and a half. That was a year and a half contract. Yeah. And I think within sort of three months, I knew I loved it and wanted to stay after the contract. And then I worked for another audiovisual company over there and stayed working there. Yeah, it's a visual... Sort of as a in the, what would you call it? Um, oh God, in operations, right? For an audiovisual company, yeah, yeah, cool. What? What? You just love China that much? Love Shanghai that much that you wanted to say, or was it more the work that was, or a combination? Oh of no, anything? definitely, definitely wasn't the work. It was more. I don't know you probably heard it's a bit of a love hate relationship there, but um, it's just the excitement of it. It's just that's again when I was sort of talking about dealing with Sydney, it's just trying to deal with the boredom of being here and the routine and the monotony <laughs> of it. Yeah, I've been somewhere that you know so well, but then Shanghai it was just such an exciting place to be. And then through Reese, sort of fell into the music scene, and uh, you know, just met some awesome people. And by the end of it, it was more my friends and my social life that was keeping me there than really where I was. Yeah, yeah. You know, by the end of it, I wasn't even using Shanghai for Shanghai, and that was kind of why I left. It was like, well, why am I why am I still here? I'm not even using this city for what it's worth. You know, yeah, so gotcha. you'd almost exhausted. Uh, what you what you needed from it at the time? Yeah, exactly. It just became it started becoming a familiar place again, and I, I had a bit of a dream to open a bar in Indonesia, and I'd saved enough money, and that was time to do it. So I went to Indonesia to open a bar, and stayed there for a year in Bali, and met my lovely wife, and yeah, so we ended up back here. Uh, it's it's incredible. Can you speak Mandarin? No, no, I, enough to get me around. Yeah. Enough to like get in a taxi, enough to order food, enough to, you know. Yeah, just the basics. Sort of, yeah, that's just a basic sort of thing, you know. But um, no, I wouldn't say I can speak Mandarin. Yeah, yeah. Oh, it's incredible. It's, it's one place I've, I haven't been to China yet and I've always wanted to go. And and uh, it seems to be a common thing that people say that have either lived there or have been there quite a few times. It's just this this chaotic place. It's just It's just – you don't know what to expect and there's always something happening. It's just – and I guess the the sheer size of population as well is uh, for someone that's probably not used to it, it could be quite overwhelming to begin with. Yeah, yeah. And just the, just the people – I don't know. Like I, I I never sort of come, call myself a racist person. I never feel that it's a racist comment to make. But it's – I've travelled, you know, 30, 40-odd countries and moved in sort of four other countries. But Chinese are just a completely different generation uh, – sort of different people – they're just completely different. They're just in their own mindset, their own world, and it's hard to put a finger on. But it's just—it's really entertaining and it's really frustrating at the same time. <laughs> you know, as I always sort of said, you, you might walk out of the day and come home totally aggravated or totally excited. It always just sort of invoked a feeling within you. Whereas here, I just come home not bored, but it's just very mundane and quite the same. You know. Yeah, yeah. So it's just- I, I remember someone telling me ages ago, I don't know whether this is a myth or not, but one of the things that uh, – it might be in certain areas of China more so than just China in general, but uh, when you're meeting someone for the first time, it's you know one of the things that you sort of ask, like you know how we would meet – meet each other and go, oh, what are you up to? Like, what do you do for a job or whatever? They would ask you how much money you earn just to try and gauge. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So yeah, totally. Yeah. You'd be in a taxi and he's like, hello, you're foreigner. What do you do? What do you do in Shanghai? How much do you earn? How much your rent? <laughs> you know? Oh, they're very, yeah. 
And it's a very common thing too in the workplace for all the staff to, because I used to manage about 30 odd boys. Yeah. And they, you know, and then I had a manager above me, and he'd always get frustrated that all the boys complaining to me about their salary. It's like, yeah, it's common for them to sit around at lunchtime and talk about their salary and how much they earned and blah, blah, blah. <laughs> it's like, oh, they're not allowed to. I'm like, you can't change a culture because that's what we do in the West and in England. You can't come over here and tell them, you know, you just got to pay them fairly. You do. <laughs> you, know, you can't get around it by sort of saying, you know, I'm going to pay him this and him that, and then hopefully they don't talk about it. You just got to pay them both the right amount and what oh, they're worth. There you go. Yeah, just do the right yeah. thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Oh, it's incredible. Yeah, it's um, it's one of those places that it's just it seems. I mean, I've been to Japan oh, six or seven times over the years, and just playing yeah. and visiting and whatnot, and Japan. I think is probably the closest thing that I can compare to China, but at the same time appears to be polar opposites in in so many ways as well. But yeah, totally, totally. Japan seems so insular and so closed off from the rest of the world in so many ways, and they've got their own thing, and they're very sort of they take care of their own, and and you go in there and you feel like you're on another planet. It's just incredible, and I assume that China is similar, but in vastly different ways altogether. Of course. Yeah, yeah, totally. I've, I've got a couple of friends from Shanghai that have lived in both countries. Um, for an extensive amount of times, and they both say the same, exactly the same sort of thing. They're both very unique and both very similar while being polar opposites at the same time, and that's mainly due to the culture and the way the people are. They're just so completely different, you know? It's, whereas yeah. the Japanese are so dedicated to their company and the way they work, whereas Chinese are just so lazy and, you know, <laughs> blase about their job and would do the, you know, shittest job as long as it's the least amount of effort to get anything done, you know, and the Chinese are so polite and look at you, you know, yes, sir, how are you, sir? Whereas the Chinese would just sort of say to you, God, you look fat today or don't wear that, you look stupid, <laughs> you know, and it's just their culture, it's just the way they are, you know, and I think, uh, I, I don't think I could ever live in Japan for that reason, I just feel it's quite fake. There's a few times I've been there and they sort of, you know, the little bar on how are you, sir, and, you know, yes, sir, no, sir kind of thing. I, I kind of like the Chinese way, they just sort of slam the money on the counter and go, can't be fuck saying hello. Why should I say hello? You know? I, I don't need to. I, I, I'm yeah, here for exactly. a reason. Where's yeah. it going to get me if I say hello? Here's a $2 <laughs> change from your Coca-Cola, but just won't see you later. You know? <laughs> just get to the point. That's it. Yeah, yeah exactly. About... Basically, yeah, exactly. exactly. Oh, I think, um, see, that would, that would do wonders for my ego being in China because I would very quickly have to sort of be a sink or swim mentality. I'd get my... I'd get my ego broken straight away, but um, I'd I'd be able to, you know, hopefully overcome it very quickly. But one thing that I hate in Australia, and I've seen it in other parts of the world, is that that especially in Western culture, anyway, that offers small talk. And I'm sure you see it, sort of just doing doing what you do now on a day to day basis. Yeah, where, yeah. You know, it's like, oh, it's uh, oh, it's Monday again, or oh, it's Hump Day, or it's Friday. Thank God it's Friday. Or Hey, how are you yeah, going? Yeah, yeah, and you yeah. don't answer the question. You just keep, you say the same question to the other person as you're walking by. No one actually cares how you're going and whatnot. Yeah, 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 totally, and, totally. And from what you're saying with the Chinese, like, you just don't have that small talk. It's just, if I don't need to talk to you, I'm not going to talk to you. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah, yeah exactly. Oh, I'd love yeah. that. I'd absolutely love that. Um, you mentioned Bali, so you're there for, for 12 months and you opened up your own bar there? No, I wanted to. I went to, oh, you wanted I to. went to go over there. Yeah. Um, my parents have lived over there for about three or four years and they have a lovely place. So while I was in China, I was going back and forward, back and forward. And even before I actually got my Chinese contract, I'd had the I went over there to have a look at a place. And um, yeah, so after Shanghai and I'd saved a decent amount of money, I went over there and stayed with my parents because my mum was actually a cook okay. as well. She's owned bars or she's owned restaurants and cafes and 
my dad used to sell fruit and vegetables for a living, so it was you know ideal to have them there while I was starting for them to help me out and absolutely have a have a place to stay until the business you know got off the ground and you know get their input and stuff like that. And they've been going there back and forth for thirty forty years kind of thing. So yeah, wow, it was a perfect place to do it. But yeah, you know, I looked at. God, seriously, I probably looked at about a half a dozen places and looked at about 20 other places just, you know, walking in and looking on the outside and it, yeah, it just wasn't possible. And uh, I'd sort of met my girlfriend or my wife at the time who worked in hospitality all her life as well and she she was actually on holidays in Bali. She's from West Sumatra and she'd never really done the legal side of things with it but she was helping me out quite a bit trying to find a place and get the legalities of you know businesses and talking to business owners and stuff and it was just a mindset how hard it was anyway so you know trying to do business in china is like a hundred times easier than it would be to do in indonesia yeah right is it more because it's just so um so I use the word again chaotic or just informal at the way they approach things it's not a structure just informal it's just almost it's 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 what we see as corrupt is what they see as every day <laughs> yeah basically gotcha. you know it's like you pay him this much and you pay him that much and you know this was that much and and just the complete lack of information was just really difficult to deal with like you know it's sort of um and it's not just on a level of uh, business, it's like getting your visas, getting your driver's license, you know, buying a house, everything. It just it can change from month to month what the laws are, you know. Like while I was there, um, the visa laws change four or five times for foreigners. One month, you know, a foreigner can't get a business visa unless he can speak Bahasa. And then the next one was, uh, you, you know, it would change a month later to uh, you can't get a business visa until he owns a business with such and such amount of money. And you know, so you'd walk in the lawyer's office and one lawyer would tell you this, another lawyer would tell you that, another, you know, notary would tell you this, another person would tell you that. It's just like, fuck, I just want to get some information, you know. <laughs> and I typically wasn't going to do it because I was using all my money that I'd saved. I wasn't going to touch any place unless I knew it was 100% legal. Yeah, yeah. You know, and a lot of places didn't even have liquor licenses. And like, oh, you just pay the police enough once a month when he comes around. You know, it's normal. Everybody does it in this street. And I'm just like, I'm not going to do it, you know. One day the governor could turn around and go around and close every place that doesn't have a liquor license. You'd need a lot of patience to, to oh, I totally. guess, do business over there. Yeah. It's totally. Just, oh, it seems, uh, I guess it's, oh, it's like anywhere. Really, it's, it's just, it's another world altogether, especially with, uh, you know, the way that everything's sort of, especially here in Australia, and I guess we've sort of taken an, a page out of, you know, America's book or North America's book with, uh, with laws and and uh, licenses and all sorts of fees and admin fees and all sorts of stuff that you have to pay and all these loopholes that you have to jump through. Um, yeah, and, yeah. and sometimes it's good to have a lot of that stuff there for a bit of reliability and structure and whatnot. But yeah, so it's, exactly. it's sort of like exactly. it's sort of like the other other end of the spectrum as far as extremes concerned. Yeah, exactly. And it's all, you know, it's all about who you, who you know and who you can pay off and who you can, you know, and, you know, like, for instance, you know, my parents had good friends over there that owned a restaurant for 12 years, uh, foreign man, uh, local lady, you know, one day the police just walk in, someone to see all your papers, looked through all their papers, went, no, this is not right. And, you, and they had all their papers right for a long time. They'd been trading for a long time, you know, mm. getting them renewed and stuff. And they said, no, we have to shut you down. Sorry, your papers aren't in place. And all it basically came down to, once I'd moved out, the place got knocked down a month later and someone else rebuilt there. It's just about uh, who, who knew somebody that, you know, yeah, I'll give you whatever, $50,000 to go get them shut down. I want that location. Okay, cool. 
Nothing's well, guaranteed. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So I just wasn't prepared, and I and I wasn't prepared to put money in invest targets like that, and you know, pay for staff and put money towards the government and pay taxes and all that sort of shit when when you're treated like that, you know. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And do you, um, despite I guess those bad experiences with trying to get a business up and running, is um is Indonesia or, or Bali in particular a place that you would go back to and, and live there permanently at all? Especially oh, given, I'd love to. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I'd love to. I mean, if I if I had the money, I'd love to do it full time and just you know just relax there. But trying to earn money there would be quite difficult. I mean, a lot of the expats, especially Perth expats, um, work you know t- five days on, five days off, and then they go to Bali. I mean, I would not do that travelling back and forth. But if I could somehow earn a living outside of the country and then just live there. It'd be wonderful. It's, a lot of people, I think, uh, especially Bali to them is like, I don't know, have you been to Bali? No, I never have actually. But I've got a lot of friends in um, in Perth, just as you mentioned, that um, it's. I was absolutely blown away. I forgot, well, I didn't realise how close it was to Perth. And as yeah, you said, it's like people, an hour and a half. Yeah, and people will do the, the hop, skip and a jump like every every few days or every couple of weeks and just go up there and we're going to go up for a weekend because, you know, you get cheap flights and whatever. So, yeah, yeah, yeah it's yeah. incredible. So I'd like to go there one day, but, um, yeah, no, I haven't been there yet. Yeah, a lot of people, I mean, it's, it's a beautiful place. A lot of people refer it to Kuta and, you know, the party scene and all the nightclub yeah. and stuff, which is great that it's there because it keeps all those sort of people away from where we were living. It's just nice, <laughs> beautiful, quiet, serene street. It's just gorgeous, you know, it's really mellow, nice beaches. You know, we had a lovely house and, you know, we used to go on motorbike treks up through the mountains. And, you know, it's an awesome place, wonderful place. Yeah, I think that I think that's um, one of the things that's sort of – well, it hasn't put me off, but it hasn't put – uh, hasn't put Bali up high on my list of places to get to, like next, because yeah, yeah, I've, yeah, I've yeah, just, yeah, I guess that, I guess the the stereotypes or the culture put around it with you know a lot, a lot of Aussies go over there. It's a cheap holiday, and exactly. uh, just go and get loose and and have a have a pretty crazy time over there. And it's just, I mean, maybe maybe ten years ago that might have been a bit more of my liking, but uh, yeah, 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 when you're a bit younger, yeah. I, I mean, it's it's really ugly. Like you go into those areas. We used to go to one bar that was in that area just to go see, you know, hardcore bands and sort of local punk bands and stuff. And it's around that sort of bar district. And at night time, it's just ugly. Mm. You know, it's just sort of show some respect for the local people. Show some respect for yourselves. You know, you wouldn't be doing this down the street of your local, you know, so why do it there? I mean, you get, you get that everywhere, I guess. You get in places in Thailand. And, yeah. And, uh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I've, I've seen that in uh, in parts of, of Europe. I mean, just recently um, I, I got married last year, a few months ago, almost six months ago, and we went to Europe for about a month. And we were in Prague for about oh, about oh, almost two months. We based ourselves out of Prague and sort of just uh, – did a bit of exploring around the around the place, but um, Prague's like seems to be the Bali for for Brits. You know, it's, yeah, right. It's a it's a cheap flight over, and it's you know costs of uh, you know hotels and alcohol and food and everything's pretty pretty cheap. And um, they rock up Friday afternoon. They're just loose for the whole weekend, and then by either Sunday night or Monday morning, the the place is a ghost town as far as the Brits are concerned. And it was just incredible. Yeah. It was just, uh, and they just ripped the place apart. It was just absolutely insane. And I just thought this must be whether it's exactly the same or not, but this must be something like what uh, what the Aussies do when they go to Bali and just rage. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. yeah I mean, a, I mean, a lot of the Indonesians sort of look down at a lot of the Europeans because they're a lot pickier and they sort of 
least say the Australians are friendly and nice and don't barter and don't get aggressive and stuff like that. But they, you know, you just have this, as soon as you say you're an Australian, they just have this perception of you straight away. You know, you drink lots of beer and sit in the pub from 12 o'clock watching the football and <laughs> have no desire to know the culture. And, you know, it's sort of a little bit unfortunate that, you know, there's a culture too about, you know, oh, I used to have an Indonesian wife and they're sort of like, oh, right, okay. And it's like, no, she didn't work in a bar beforehand, no. you know, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> yeah. You know, she she's a good girl. She never drank before, blah, 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 you know, all that sort of stuff. And, yeah. yeah, so it's just that's yeah. Anyway, people uh, think what they want to think. Oh, that's it. That's it. I mean, if you if you're worried about that, then you probably wouldn't get anything done. So yeah, exactly, yeah, absolutely. Um, so you mentioned that you've lived in a few other places around the world. What I, I think um, was Denmark one of them? Yeah, I lived in Copenhagen for a year. So that's about as much as I've seen of Europe. Yeah, yeah. Um, I went to. I moved. So firstly, I lived in Honduras. I lived in a small island in the Caribbean in Honduras, which yeah. was a very random trip. And again, if you told me that was going to happen, it, yeah, I would never have thought so. And then I, uh, from there, I met a Danish girl, and from there, I moved to Copenhagen and went there with her for a year. And again, yeah, no desire or no idea what Copenhagen would be like, and ended up living in Copenhagen for a year. That's incredible. How on earth did you get to Honduras in the first place? I'm, I'm jumping all over the place, but um, as soon as yeah, you that, right. I went, oh, well, okay. Now I went to go to uh, I went to go uh, live in Mexico. Yeah. So I went to go again after a lovely feline after another girl. <laughs> so I met her in Australia, and I was just sort of like, you know, okay, she's going back to Mexico, and I've I've always really wanted to live out of Sydney for as long as I can remember. But never really had the reason why. Like I just mm. I've always travelled, and I thought oh, it'd be great to live out of somewhere. And she was, I guess, more of an excuse. Like I sort of tried to make that relationship work to. You know, we were never really into each other. And then that sort of lasted a day and a half when I was in Mexico. Pretty much when I landed and there at the airport, I realized it wasn't going to work. <laughs> and then I was just sitting in a bar in Mexico City and I'd met a guy that had just come back from Honduras and told me about this small little island that was great for diving. And I just sort of, you know, a couple of years prior to that, got my dive license. Went, oh, I'll go down there. And then I ended up, uh, from the first night that I got on the island, I found a job in a restaurant, um, found a job in a dive school and found a place to live and I just ended up staying there for a year. It's um, it's pretty incredible because I just that just scenario just reminded me, I don't know if you've ever heard of like the French Legion, the the special special forces army unit and they what they do is they drop these guys into like Germany or whatever, this is part of their training, with no money, no resources whatsoever, and they say basically get back to back to France, whichever way you yeah, can. Yeah, right. So they'll yeah. they'll go to wherever the next they'll drop in a field somewhere, random village. They'll walk into the village. They've all got to split up, and they've got to try and find a way to convince someone to give them a you know a lift somewhere. They have to try and yeah, find right, somewhere to earn right. some money, and it's really like the pressure's on for them to be resourceful and creative with with nothing. So when you just said that, then I'm thinking, oh, it's almost like the equivalent of French <laughs> Legion just dro- just dropping into Honduras. The backpack, backpack version. Yeah, that's it. That's it. But um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, that's something. Oh, for me, it's just such a foreign concept of. Like I'm, I'm such, I, I'm, I'm far too organized. Sometimes I'll plan things in advance to make sure. Like I always have the flexibility if something doesn't go right that, um, you know, I'll adjust and whatnot. But um, yeah, yeah, to yeah, be yeah. able to sort of just go get a bit of a sniff of an idea and then just go down there and as you said, like within that first day or night, you've already hooked up work and you've got you've got some things moving straight away. It's um, 
it's such a that's such a cool thing to hear for at least from my point of view because it's it's just such a, a weird concept for me to to take in. I guess I don't know. I've just always been a hard worker, and I've always known. And well, I guess the two things that I've only ever done in my life is working in restaurants and working in audiovisual is very good for travelling. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you can always work in setting up, you know, on tours, or you can always work, you know, mixing bands in nightclubs or bars, or working in bars and stuff like that, or working as a cook. Yeah, or a manager. So it kind of worked for me, and I just sort of walked into a restaurant, and I mean. The girl today is still one of my best friends that I asked over the counter. You know, this is sort of nine years ago, nine and a half years ago, you know, where she's now owns a guest house in Colombia and we're still keeping contact, you know. Yeah. And I just sort of walked into the restaurant and said, hey, by the way, you know, I've just sort of come to the island, you know, I'm looking for work. And she just pointed down there and went, well, oh, sorry, I'm looking for a house to stay. And she pointed to the girl down there and see that uh, Spanish girl down there, she's looking for someone. Cool. Hey, Goretti, you know, blah, blah, blah. And the place ended up being wonderful. I lived with her for a year. And then, yeah, there I ended up managing the kitchen at night while this uh, French-Canadian girl that I asked that night managed the bar. And we just became really good friends and ran one of the most popular sort of tourist restaurants on the island. You know, it's a small island, only about two and a half kilometres long. Like, it's tiny. You can walk around the thing in about 40 minutes. You know, and there's no no cars on the island, just dirt roads, uh, about six or eight dive schools, about four bars. Was it a big tourist destination? It's a big tourist destination mainly because it's the cheapest place. There's a place in Thailand called Koh Tao, Mm. and this place are the two cheapest places that you can get your dive license. So basically it's very big for Europeans going through South or Central America to go there and uh, get their dive license. So they'd come over, you know, get the dive license, dive three or four times, and that's probably the only time they ever dive in their life. <laughs> but, you know, a lot of people that used to come would end up staying, you know, go for a week and end up staying for 10 days. Yeah. You know, and you probably talk to a majority of the people, 70, you know, 50, 60% of the people that, that lived there as an expat who ended up working the dive school would come over for, oh, I'm going to go over for a couple of weeks and dive and ended up just staying, you know, for a year or two or you know, I don't think there's many people that sort of plan to go, oh, no, I'm going to go pack everything up and go live on Utila. It's just one of those places you fall in love with, you know. Yeah. it was. Is there similarities between, I guess, to sort of the local culture there and, and, and the local culture in Indonesia as far as that, you know, that sort of laid back sort of attitude where sort of it's very loose as far as um, structure and not so much laws but, you know, rules and things like that and that anything can go. Was it was it yeah, that sort of feeling there at all? Yeah, kind of. I mean, I I didn't really. You, you don't really have much contact with the locals. The only uh, contacts I really had with the locals were um, the couple of girls that were running the kitchen, the ladies that I used to manage in the kitchen. Yeah, and they couldn't speak any English, and I couldn't speak much Spanish. <laughs> um, and then our boat captain and a couple of staff at the dive school. Gotcha. And. They're just, it's just island folk. Like they're yeah. very, they're all very uneducated. They sort of grew up there all their life. But Honduras is one of the sort of most dangerous countries in the world. Mm. It has the highest mur- murder rate per capita in the world, you know, and it's incredibly dangerous. The capital city at night times, you know, really dangerous. And that sort of extended across to the country, uh, across to the island as well. And there's a bit of a gangster sort of attitude, you know. Quite often you'd see if any local gave any shit, like you wouldn't dare try and chat up a local girl unless, you know, you're familiar with the family or 
you're, you know, you wouldn't be a Westerner sort of just walking in and within a few days go try and chat up a local girl because I'd seen a couple of times where, you know, the guys would get out and just beat the living shit out of them in the middle of the bar. And, you know, even though the bar was owned by the Westerner and even though there's a whole lot of Westerners that lived there, no one would step in. Yeah, right. Well, you know, because it's, it's just that culture of, you know, and they do it amongst themselves as well. They're just very rough, you know. Yeah, yeah, incredible. Yeah. Incredible. You know, it's just a lot of sort of street culture on the middle of an island. was kind of quite funny. And was, I mean, as you said, like you, you didn't interact a great deal with the locals. Was it because that there was sort of a segregation between the expats and the locals and just because of that, the cultural difference um, or something like that? Just a cultural difference and there was just sort of no real need to. It's not, yeah. you just didn't have anything really in common with them. It wasn't that kind of where you could sit down and I guess it wasn't that much exposure. Like they, they lived in the slums of the island. Like I mm. went to my... I was quite good friends with my boat captain a couple of times. I'd go to his family's dinner and stuff like that. And they literally lived in a corrugated iron roof with dirt floors and, you know, sort of milk crates and stuff sitting around as, you know, furniture and so forth like that. You know, why are we coming over there and spending probably their year's salary one night in the bar? And they'd sort of <laughs> look at that. And, and they had their own bar at night. So there was one place up the hill that, you know, only the locals would go to. And if you were a foreigner, you could go there, but you wouldn't dare try and walk around and, Hey mate, how you going? How have you been? You know, you live here or anything? It's just sort of you just leave them to them, and we're over this side, you're over that side. You just, know, just do your just mind, mind yeah, your own business more. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. 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 And they didn't, you know, they knew that if there was no foreigners, they would, they would have an income, so they yeah. just treated you that way, kind of thing. You know. Yeah, gotcha. And so you you came across a Danish girl there and then followed her to probably what would be the complete opposite of Honduras being Denmark, which is for my I've, Yeah, basically, yeah. One of the most she, expensive cities I've ever <laughs> I've ever been to. Yeah, well yeah, so she left in about three months after. I was like, I don't want to go back to Sydney, you know, I just sort of had enough of the island or yeah. I sort of almost felt guilty with the island. I was thirty, you know, thirty three or something and just like Literally, I was waking up at 7 o'clock, diving till midday, then, you know, taking people diving until midday, and then in the afternoon I'd go on my own sun dive and then just be in the bar or smoking weed or whatever, just doing nothing. Yeah. You know, and then I only worked in the restaurants three nights a week and, you know, it's just sort of like, all right, I've got to do something. You know, a year, enough of this is for a year. And she's like, well, come to Denmark. And, again, I literally landed in Denmark with about 200 bucks in my pocket and went, <laughs> all right, here we go. <laughs> and again, not research, and that's why I didn't get to see um, Europe because I was just under the assumption of okay, every three months I leave Denmark and go across to Germany and update my part, you know, get a new visa. Yeah. So I didn't know anything about the Schengen Agreement and about visas throughout, you know, Europe and stuff like that. So yeah, it just kind of I kind of got stuck in Denmark, you know, in Copenhagen because by the time I would earned enough money to travel, I'd already had my three months up. Yeah, gotcha. And, uh, yeah, so I couldn't travel anywhere. And if I left Denmark, I couldn't get back in. So, yeah. unfortunately, I didn't get to see you while I was there. And I'm not quite sure whether I can or not because, uh, well, I guess I can now. Because apparently, if you overstay your visa, they can ban you for coming from seven years. Oh, right. Well, yeah, yeah. So they didn't say anything when I left, but, you know, apparently they don't have to. No. <laughs> but it's been seven years now. So, so you, you may be okay now. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> Not what, that I'm planning to go anytime soon, but anyway. No, no. But it what was um I guess I've only been in Copenhagen for literally hours. Like I haven't been there for a long period of time, but um just going from other parts of Europe and working out the the cost of everyday items and whatnot, and then then 
getting into Copenhagen and just going, oh, okay, everything's like double or three times the price of anywhere else. Yeah. It's incredible yeah. how expensive things were. Did you did you have, I mean, especially rocking up there with $200, did you find it was difficult to sort of get started or wasn't too bad? Well, I was lucky because I had her place to stay at, so I was staying with her. Yeah. And again, within uh, about 10 days I had a job, so it wasn't too bad and I was just getting paid cash in hand. Okay, yeah. And I was working in a restaurant, so I was getting, you know, lunches and that there and stuff like that and sort of drinking there afterwards and so forth. But it was hard to get by. Like, I wasn't living luxurious or anything, you know. We were living, me, her, and another girl in a small apartment, and she was only a student at the time. And I remember trying to go out and get a bicycle because, you know, everyone rides bikes there yeah, and yeah. going, shit, they're expensive. So I just found one on the side of the road and <laughs> rebuilt it myself and, yeah. you know, stuff like that. And, yeah. You know, I wasn't certainly shopping or anything like that. I'm generally not a person that consumes. I generally spend all my money on, even today, just going out to nice meals or traveling or, you know, nights out. So yeah. I didn't really have to buy anything. It was just more about, you know, just having a few beers with friends and having nice meals out or cooking for friends and, you know. Well, I guess if you you sort of already by that stage got a bit of a track record for for, you know, getting out there and staying in places for, you know, smaller periods of time in the grand scheme of things, you're probably already, once you're in Denmark, sort of thinking, oh, well, where's the next place going to be at some stage? I've got to, I've got to move. I've got to, I've got to keep moving. So there's no point accumulating uh, things or spending a lot of money on, on yeah, sort of exactly. material items. Yeah, yeah. Exactly, exactly, you know. So I think, I mean, like, it's different obviously being in Shanghai. I went with one backpack and came back with, you know, God, boxes upon boxes of stuff. And I think when I when I moved to Denmark, I left with less stuff than I sort of landed with, you know. No, it, was a, it was a nice place. It was good. It, it was a romantic and beautiful city, but it's somewhere I certainly wouldn't – I haven't. I feel really no desire to go back there and travel at all. Like, yes, Shanghai I'd like to. Yes, you know, Honduras I'd like to. But Denmark, I think I've seen everything and there's nothing there that really appeals to me again. And I don't think I could ever live there again. You know, it's it's not slow, but it's very small. Yeah. You know, and it's and there's not really that much going on there. And do you think it's, I mean, I mean, obviously European cities are very different to, to what we've got here here in Australia, but obviously still very westernised. So I, I assume that would probably probably come into play a bit as well. It's not as unique or as exciting as, as, a, as a Shanghai or, or somewhere else that's probably got a completely different culture that you've... Yeah, really yeah, yeah. There's no attraction with. to that. Yeah, exactly. It's sort of... There's none of that sort of walk outside. I mean, with Shanghai, for instance, you can walk out the front door and go, what the fuck's he doing? You know, like, or <laughs> what's going on there? Or what's that weird smell? Or why is he running, you know, why is he yelling at him or something? Whereas Denmark, you just sort of walk outside and go, well, that's really romantic. That's really beautiful. There's swans on the lake or there's snow on the ground. Or that's a beautiful building. But at the same time, the whenever I traveled, I always think that like, a waterfall or a cave or a mountain was more interesting to me than the local town square or the church or something like that. So Europe was never really interesting to me or never really attracted to me. But the one, you know, I walked, landed in Denmark, I thought it was beautiful. And the one holiday we did go on, we went to Amsterdam and Berlin and I was just blown away how beautiful Amsterdam was. I thought, you know, the, the canals, the buildings and everything just sort of gave me a taste of how good it could how nice it would actually be to go to Europe, you know. So I do have a hankering for it now after that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean I, I, 
I certainly, I mean, I've been there a few times, just various parts of Europe, and um, I've always got a, a fascination with the place, and especially given, like, you know, here in Australia, you know, if you're talking about sort of, you know, uh, colonies and, and when, you know, the English came here and whatnot, uh, you know, that, that part of history is so small compared to, you know, going to Europe and seeing, you know, the, the culture and the history there is just sort of tenfold to what we're Oh, yeah, exactly. Here. Exactly. So it's, um, it's far, far more interesting. But at the same time, like, um, you know, going through Asia and, and Japan and whatnot and these places where it's just, as you said, you walk out the door, you don't know what to expect. But at the same time, everyone looks at you and knows that you don't belong here or you don't fit in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Some places, like you can go to Singapore and, you know, there's that many expats there that you just, you blend in and no yeah, one yeah. an eyelid. But some places, like there's just, there's hardly any expats around and you're a foreigner straight away and you stand out and, and whether it's a good thing or a bad thing, you stand out. And, but, you know, I could be in Germany and walking around and, and everyone just think I'm a German until I open my mouth. And yeah, yeah, there's yeah. There's this, this, this awkward moment where you've got to go, oh, damn it, this person doesn't speak German or damn it, yeah, this person doesn't speak English and then you have to try and get around it. But whereas you're in Japan or somewhere else, they know straight away that they've, they've, got, to, they've got to adjust to try and communicate with you and vice versa. Yeah, so yeah, 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 exactly. Exactly. Now I find really that exciting. Awkward. I've I find it exciting sort of being dropped in places that, you know, you're just totally out of your comfort zone and totally unfamiliar. And I mean, again, even like with somewhere like Bali where they're so used to foreigners, you know, some of the best places I found in Bali were tiny little shanty towns where they look at you and go, what are you doing out of Kuta or, you know, in the middle of the capital city, they're wondering what you're sort of doing there. And, you know, yeah, I loved it. There's, there's a, there's a, there's a rush about it where you just don't know what the hell's going to happen. But at the same time, you sort of, think that no matter what happens you know things will things will even itself out one way or the other yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah. and yeah. and you'll find a way to get through it and it's kind of it's it's a bit of a challenge and a bit of a game in a way to try and work out the the most creative way to get through a, a scenario or a problem or a language barrier or some sort of weird cultural rule or something that you would is just so foreign to you, you don't even understand how it works but somehow you get through it and, and you come out the other side okay yeah exactly so, exactly yeah, yeah it's cool. and it makes you look at your own culture in a different way and then respect another i mean i always think i don't know i could brag forever and talk about traveling and i always could say that traveling is just one of the greatest things that anybody could do you appreciate home a lot more or you know a different concept of what home is about when you're out and about and seeing how other people treat their homes or you treat, you know, when you walk into their home, you know, not as in home as in physical house, but, you know, where they live and where they're from. And even at the same time, you know, having my wife, you never been to Australia before or never really been to a Western country before until I brought her here. I have a different outlook of, you know, going around the city when I'm with her than I do by myself, you know, because I've just sort of seen it through her eyes, you know, and she, she's a foreigner in my country and I'm excited to see her and her reactions and, trying to show it off, you know, my home off to her is, is awesome. You know, I love it. It's funny. I mean, it's like anyone really, when you're, when you're in one spot or you you you've got something within arm's reach, you, you take it for granted. And, you know, I mean, we've got, we've got, you know, all the beaches here, you know, along Sydney and down the South and North coast. And, you know, I, I used to live in Cronulla and I was literally five minutes away from the beach and I went there once in 12 months. I just had no, just didn't even think about doing it. But then that one time I did go was because I had a friend from interstate coming uh, that stopped by for a few days yeah, yeah, and, exactly. wanted, and wanted to go down there. And I'm like, 
oh, this is actually not bad down here. And not long after that, I actually moved. So yeah, right, <laughs> it, was, right. it was too late, but it was just, it's just taking for granted what, what you've got at your fingertips. So it is, it is, I mean, definitely envious of you because you've, you've got a wife now that, as you said, you, you're just introducing what you've always known, but looking at it from a completely different angle. Yeah. It's just a, it's, everything's fresh again. Yeah, totally. Totally. I mean, oh, I'm even cool. sitting in my back garden at the moment looking at the hill sites and I just sort of remember for the first time looking going, why is there a big clothesline in the middle of the back garden? Why is it taking the whole <laughs> back garden? I'm like, that's a, such an Australian thing. Every back garden on this street has got a clothesline like that in the middle of it. Don't you worry. You know, yeah. and then sort of, you know, <laughs> going to her place and seeing what sort of back garden, non-existent yard she grew up in and, you know, the chaos city that she lived in and then, you know, her hearing birds in the morning. Just goes, yeah, it is actually quite beautiful every morning hearing birds, but you don't kind of think about it till you have somebody next to you that has never witnessed that before. Points it out. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that, that's cool. Would you – um? Would you ever consider moving away anywhere again? Like, is there is there any sort of have you got short term plans of being in Sydney just to? Oh no, we've got know. plans to. Uh, yeah, I'm looking every day because I'm still interested in buying a cafe restaurant somewhere, and I'm I'm still looking somewhere, and if I could put my finger down to a country that I'd be prepared to live in, I'd I'd jump at that. If a job came up anywhere in the world, and Joyce was happy to do it, I'd be happy. I'd be more than willing to do it. You know. I've even just sort of jumped on a couple of websites at the moment looking at bars and restaurants in Honduras and on the islands where I lived before to see what's there and there's a couple of nice ones there and I was like, oh, I could be very tempted, you know. <laughs> it's just a, it's just a different ball game at the moment when you've got – or well, A, we're waiting for Joyce's visa to be sorted out and that, that, that won't be you known until mid-next or mid-this year. So that's our main priority at the moment. But also just, you know, when you've got a, another person – I won't say she's not adventurous, but she wouldn't be as willing to, you know, I'd be willing to sleep on someone's floor for a couple of months until I found a job or, you know, I'd just be willing to do whatever needs to be done to get by and, you know, I'd be happy to fly and land in Mexico, you know, tomorrow and just see if it works, you know. But, you know, so, yeah, I've got got her considerations now and, you know, we're thinking of family and all that sort of stuff, so... You've got to do a bit of uh, a bit of additional pre-planning. There. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you know, there's someone absolutely. someone else's thoughts and uh, opinions matter at the moment. So you know, yeah. <laughs> but right. she's she's, not... she's really she's really willing. I mean, we're even talking about maybe just. I've been looking at the moment, talking to a guy who's got a cafe up in Mullumbimby, You know, so maybe yeah, cool. something like that. You know, living up the north coast. So just I'm just not happy being in Sydney at the moment. So yeah, yeah. Fair enough. And and like anything, and I mean, you you're well versed to it now. Nothing. Nothing's forever, and it's 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 actually a and that's a from a positive point of view where you can you can give something a shot and know that you know at any time you can go. Eh, I've had enough of that, and it's time to it's time to find the next chapter. So you know, yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. People people always panic about making a decision and thinking that uh, you know that decision's do or die, and and uh, if it doesn't work out, then everything falls apart. So it's it's kind of cool that. Um, you know, obviously, probably you haven't done it consciously over the years, but just putting yourself in those situations where you've, you, you know, everything's sort of temporary, and now being back home, you, it's uh, it probably takes a lot of pressure off yourself in a way. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's hard too at the other uh, other side of the spectrum too. You know, I sort of come back to work, and you know, I'm looking at guys I'm working with that are younger than me that have been a lot more committed to their career and so forth, like that, earning more money and. <laughs> 
a bit more stable and, you know, I've bought houses or I have family and kids at the moment. And a bit, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty well literally sort of losing at the moment how expensive Sydney is and how hard and tough it is, it, you know, to get week by week here. And then I sort of look at myself and kind of go, Mark, you know, I'm dedicated to my career a little bit and I didn't do this and that, you know, and I buckled down a little bit. Maybe I wouldn't be struggling so much now and stuff like that. But then again, you know, as I sort of get, putting my place quite often is, you know, if you did that, you wouldn't have had all the experiences that you've had, you know, but you, so it, it, it sort of falls both ways at the moment, you know, so I'm just trying to reassure myself that what I've been doing over the last 10 years has been a good path to be on as opposed to, you know, looking at the other guys that have worked that have sort of been with the one company I'm working with for 12 years on, you know, a little bit more money than me, a bit more stable. They've bought themselves an apartment, have an investment up the coast, you know, that kind of thing. And, a bit more of a future settled ahead for them where at the moment I don't really have any plans at all, really. It's just sort of all up in the air and it's like, fuck, I've got to come up with some sort of plan. I've got to work out what I want to do and, you know, like it's yeah. it's hard. It's, um, and, it's, um, and you sort of mentioned before about, you know, like being able to just sort of land somewhere and just, you know, drop everything and decide, right, this is what I'm going to do and adapt quickly. I think it's more or less, I just change my mind so often, you know, one week I want to, <laughs> one week I want to move down the South Coast and open a bar and the next week I want to, you know, because we have an office in Brisbane, all right, we'll move to Brisbane and I'll work for the Brisbane office. Another week I'll, you know, so it just depends what week I fall on that I actually do the action is when it happens, you know, and I know it drives Joyce, my wife, crazy because he's always like, even from weekend plans, it's like, oh, this weekend, I thought, we'll drive up the coast to look at that cafe. It's like, no, nah, I don't feel like doing that now. Let's go to the beach or do something else. It's like, you've got to stick to your plans a little bit, you know, but <laughs> it's just hard for me to do that, you know. <laughs> yeah, it. I mean, I guess I guess all you can do is uh, try and look at the the silver lining of the situation that you're in. I'm sure, like using the examples of the other guys that you work with who are younger and they've got the stability and they've they've put some time into like that one path and career and whatnot. I mean, I'm sure when yeah, if if they know about half the things that you've done, they're probably going, "Oh, geez, you know, I've I've probably wasted the first uh, ten years yeah, of my working exactly. career yeah. by uh, by yeah. staying around around home and not doing not doing a great deal." So yeah, it's I guess always it, grass is green on the other, as I say. You uh, know, like that's it's, it. uh, always. Yeah, always. you know, you can you know, I had a, a really interesting boss that I worked for in Copenhagen. He was actually the creator of Aqua and wrote "I'm a Barbie Girl." <laughs> yeah right so yeah, he owned the restaurant <laughs> well, that I worked for and I always said to him oh man you know it's so good you got so much money and you got you know blah 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 and all this sort of stuff and he just sort of turned around and went Nathan you know you've got one of the greatest group skill sets I know of anyone you work hard and you're prepared to do whatever needs to get done by and you've been able to travel the world with it you know whereas he's got all the money in the world and just goes out and buys a boat this day and that this day and another restaurant here and another this there and travels wherever he wants but he doesn't have any freedom he's tied down to all his businesses he's got so much locked up he's so stressed out you know so yeah it's all it's all perspective isn't it yeah, I mean, exactly. really and and um and it's probably right i mean in the end i mean you can't take anything with you at the end of the day when when you when your time's up and yeah, I guess exactly. if you can sort of, you can sort of look back and get some fulfillment from experiences. I mean, as you said before, you're, you're not much of a materialistic person. So you're always, if you're spending money, it's spending money on experiences and, yeah, yeah, exactly. and getting out there. So, I mean, that's, I think probably in the, in the big picture, you, you probably, your life's going to be a whole range of experiences rather than accumulating things such as property and, and assets and things like that. I mean, I'm sure you can easily do that as well, but I think 
yeah, you'll, you'll probably always fall on, on the experience side of things if you had the choice, which for a lot of people, they'd probably bend over backwards to try and get anything even, even close to that. So, yeah, 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 I mean, yeah. It's all, all perspective. Um, I was going to say, because uh, Reese did mention about the Aqua thing and I wasn't going to ask about it because I thought, oh, I'm sure, I'm sure it's uh, been talked about before. But he mentioned that you were actually, were you friends with the, with the people in Aqua themselves, or was it more so just the guy that ran the the guy the, the guy that the guy the guy that ran the place is the actual sort of creator of it, and the band members would come in every now and then. They were actually while I was there at the time begging to do a tour again. They sort of blown all their <laughs> money and you know that kind of stuff. Where he he was just sort of you know living the easy life, and he obviously like as you know being in the music industry, all the money's made by the manager anyway. That's it. Yeah, and, and you know, as you know, that was sort of one of the first kind of uh, manufactured bands. Mm. So none of them that were in the band any sense of business ideas or anything whatsoever, and basically they just blew all their money. So they were just sort of <laughs> in all the time, you know, nine to nine. So about we, uh, you know, get the band back together and do a tour, and he's like, no. Nah. So no, I didn't know them. I only just met them through the restaurant. Yeah. You know, I was yeah, working gotcha. out the bar that I was working at. Such an odd concept to to hear or to have that scenario uh, take place. So, yeah, it was just a yeah. random. When I found out about, it, I was like, "What the? How bizarre!" You know, like, and, <laughs> and just the whole bar and everything I worked in was just a really. I mean, with Denmark, it's quite you know, winter's freezing. It goes, it closes at three o'clock. At you know, it gets dark four o'clock. It gets dark. It's snowy. It's horrible. But then when summer comes around, it's like two separate countries. You know, everybody's out in their bikinis lying around the park and everyone goes crazy. You know, the cafes pull tables and chairs out on the streets and it's just a completely different place. And the yeah. restaurant bar I worked at was like on a um, – did you go to Weather Little Mermaid? Did you go see that in Copenhagen? No, I didn't get a chance, no. Okay, well, it's not worth it. But anyway, it's on the harbour. <laughs> and basically yeah, they right. made a beach on the harbour. They got – truckloads of sand in and, you know, they made beach volleyball courts and all this sort of stuff. So, yeah. you know, hundreds and hundreds of Danish people would come down a day in their bikinis and I just sort of set the game. It's so bizarre. Like, this whole concept is just very weird, you know. <laughs> so, yeah, it was a good bar, a good place to work at. And, uh, you know, interesting. It was, an in- it was a great bunch of people to actually meet because the other owner was in the art scene and quite a contemporary art collector and blah, blah, blah. So I got to meet some really interesting people through working in that restaurant, you know. That's really yeah, good. So, yeah. So it's a bit of a, a bit of a hub for sort of eclectic people. Yeah, people exactly. Are, yeah. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah that's cool. You know, and the owners were really nice. And, you know, used to hang out with them. We got a lot of other work through other people through them. And yeah, it's good. Yeah. Oh, that's amazing. Um, I'm just keeping you on the time, so I don't want to take you too much of your time. But I've got I've got a few quick questions, and they're based off what um what Reese has fed me. So I thought um you, you can you can give quick answers if you want to, but um. Do you want to tell me about? Uh, yeah, apparently had a motorbike crash not too long ago. Uh, yeah, that's how I sort of ended up in Shanghai. I had a motorbike accident. And I had a head-on with a car about seven <laughs> odd years ago and broke all my knee and shattered my knee and I couldn't work. And then uh, when I got better, I sort of was on the internet and found you know looking for AV jobs and there was just a little click in the top right-hand corner that sort of said AV AV work overseas and I clicked on that and yeah. I had to have the interview. That was a Wednesday. I had to have the resume in by a Friday. Had the interview the Wednesday after in Sydney. Flew down to Melbourne. And the week after that, I was in Shanghai. So from wow. the day that I saw the ad to when I was in Shanghai, it was like three and a half weeks. So, so in a way, 
if you weren't involved in that in that exactly, accident, exactly, you, you, yeah, would, yeah. you wouldn't have been in China. Well. Yeah, exactly, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, yeah, something good coming out of the bad kind of thing, you know. Oh, incredible. Um, another thing, uh, you used to organise a lot of raves in Sydney. Apparently, you organised one on the Harbour Bridge that you had to close off the bridge. Uh, not you the bridge, with before it? the bridge. Have you ever heard of Reclaim the Street? Oh, I've heard of. Yeah, I used to be heavily involved with the Claim the Street and that sort okay. of underground movement and so forth. And we did like, um, I don't know if you know Sydney at all, but we, you know, we blocked, I was probably the only person that managed to not block off personally myself, but managed to DJ in the middle of George Street in front of Town Hall, you know, with 5,000 people around kind of thing, blocking the street off on George Street. Yeah. What is it almost like a, um, this is probably a really poor way of describing it, but almost like a, a flash mobs type thing where you don't, you, you're just doing it at the last minute, like, or do you actually go through the licensing and whatever? To I know, it's all, it. It, it started off basically around in the Newtown area where um, the crews that I, you know, I was sort of friends with and involved with, and so I sort of got involved with it because I was more involved in the you know, DJing and involved in the underground scene. And this group of guys that would just literally on a scaffold, put a sound system on a scaffold hide it behind a shop and then at some point on a certain day that was organised and there's all meetings involved and stuff and you know there's um, you know meetings involved about okay you're going to block that street off we're going to detour the traffic around this way and all that sort of stuff so it's not just literally walk out in the middle of the street and block everybody off it was all sort of planned and how to reroute the traffic and yeah, so it got to that point where they were just sort of pulling a, a scaffold a mobile sound system out in the middle of the street and blocking the crew off to the point where the police got involved and like you know, for something like the, the George Street one, the police were involved. You know, they, we didn't get licensed or anything, but they were warned that, hey, we're going to have so many thousands of people. You know, you can either try and stop us or you can, you know, try and do the right thing. So they would end up, you know, stopping traffic in front of us and all that sort of stuff until we got to locations. And we wouldn't tell them where we're going to stop and, you know, where we're going to go. We'd just be literally like, all right, we want to go up and down George Street around here and back around there. And then they would just sort of, try and coordinate the traffic ahead of us. So, so you're on the back of a truck or something like that? Um, this one was like a big mobile bug that was all welded up. So I was like in the centre <laughs> of a big bug that was sort of being pushed around the street. But um, I've probably done like about a dozen of them, you know. And yeah. some, of them, some, some of them were um, mo- like, you know, they'd block a street off and there'd be a whole lot of sort of mobile... Um, I wouldn't say mobile, like sort of set up little sound systems up and down the street and you know, up to like 12 sound systems to some of them were just sort of big mobile, yeah, back of a truck systems where it was just one big sound system with a big sort of mob or protest or crew hanging behind it, you know, walking behind and dancing and then we'd sort of stop in an area and that would be our end point kind of thing and that would sort of go till, you know, all hours of the night. <laughs> that sounds, it just sounds like absolute chaos. Yeah, it was it was just wonderful. Like it was just it was great. And yeah, you know, in some of the instances, you'd get a lot of angry, you know, people in cars and stuff being held up. But a lot of the time, the general public were quite aware, of, you know, and quite up for what was going on. It was it was good. It was refreshing. It was nice. Yeah, and you know, and this is sort of you know late nineties, early two thousand. So the whole techno dancing was still kind of quite fresh and kind of quite new for Sydney. And to be out in the public street and with a whole bunch of ferals with dreadlocks and all that sort of stuff was quite entertaining <laughs> for a lot of the public, you know. Absolutely. And I'm sure that um it would have been a lot easier to get away with certain things as opposed to trying to attempt the same things now. Oh, totally. Totally. I yeah. hope you'll be a teenager in Sydney nowadays. It'd be horrible, you know. Some <laughs> of the things we used to do when we were younger and just some of the nights we used to have, you know. 
some of the events and some of the spaces that we did were amazing. Yeah, incredible, incredible. Um, okay, next question. Um, I'm just keeping an eye on the time. Um, you got detained in Mexico? <laughs> <laughs> sort of, no, not really detained, kind of. Um, when you're going to Mexico, you have, you're supposed to get like a tourist, uh, a tourist pass, basically. Okay. So they fill it in, blah, 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 but it's a big thing apparently for the immigration to not hand them to you and, and then resell them off. No. no. So I didn't know about it, so no one handed me one. But when I went to go to the border and across the border in Guatemala, um, they wouldn't let me through to Guatemala, but I was in a, with a mate, a friend of mine, we bought a car and drove around Mexico and Guatemala, and he wanted to go through, so I let him go through, and I had to go back to the local police station to try and talk my way to get in this pass. And yeah, it just ended up being uh, quite a story, and yeah, kind of got it got a bit out of hand. It kind of became yeah, it was quite funny. But I wasn't physically detained in jail. I was just sort of got put in a police cell, waiting to be taken to the head of police, and then I got driven out into the middle of the desert in the back of a ute with a bunch of Mexican policemen with machine guns, going driving out in the middle of nowhere. And we ended up in this sort of you can almost say it looked like a big I don't know jail or. Uh, castle in the middle of the desert, something out of like dust or dawn kind of thing, and pulled up to big um, steel gates that you know, being rolled up and big timber doors being opened, driven into the inside of it, and then taken upstairs to the head of police. And it sort of got blown out of proportion. And I got yelled at and carried on, and people screaming, and I couldn't handle it. I didn't speak any Spanish at the time. And I was quite lucky in the room next to me, there was uh, an official from the Mexican Navy who could speak very good English and he actually had a bit of rank and he came in and helped me and got me out of the situation and explained everything. And yeah, it was, it's quite scary, but it ended up being like a two day big adventure. It was quite, it was quite cool, quite <laughs> scary at the time, but quite, you know, it started off with being you know, me hitchhiking, getting picked up in like a low rider with, you know, a bunch of Mexican dudes with the sombreros and, you know, the sexy kickers in the back and the Mexican music blaring <laughs> out the speakers and, me driving through Mexico just going, this is awesome, you know, <laughs> so cliche <laughs> for me getting yelled at by, you know, the head of police in Mexico in the middle of the desert just going, nobody knows I'm here right now and I'm in the back of a year yeah. with like, you know, four or five policemen with machine guns. Was there ever, was there ever a point where you're, where you're actually going like, this is not, this is not going well, like I'm not, I mean, of course oh, yeah, it doesn't. Oh, totally, have, totally. When I, sat, yeah. when I sat in the police station before I went in there, I was sitting in this police station. There was a whole bunch of guys. I'm just on a white bench, and there was sort of guys. I didn't even know who they were. And I, I later found out they were the police because I was just sitting in plain clothes. But they're sitting next to me, and it's quite common when you're in Mexico just to see people riding around on motorbikes with machine guns. Or when you go to Mexico, there would be two security guards out the front of McDonald's, or even a shoe shop with a shotgun. Yeah. You know, so guns you kind of get used to seeing. But I was sitting in the police cell, and. Uh, Guy sitting next to me with machine guns going, you want to look at my machine gun? I'm, like, I'm not fucking touching your machine gun in the middle of a police station. <laughs> Fuck, there's no way I'm touching that, let alone holding it and looking at it. You know, as soon as I touch that, I'm going to... Yeah, and at yeah. that point, I was like, I'm in trouble here. And then they all sort of yelled at me, all right, hit a police, hit a police. And I'm like, okay, we must be going around the corner. So I jumped in the back of the police station wagon. And as soon as we started driving, 30 minutes later, I'm like, I have no fucking idea where I'm going and nobody knows that I'm even here. You know, wow. so it was, it was really scary. And then when we pulled up to like, you know, out to the desert and then saw like a, in the distance, you know, um, a sandstone kind of castle slash jail, whatever it is, you know, yeah, I was freaking out quite a bit. But at the same time going, this is fucking cool. <laughs> <laughs> this will make a great story if I can just get out of this alive. Yeah, yeah, basically, <laughs> basically. 
It sounds like um, uh, it sounds like one of those shows that you see on uh, I don't know, like the Discovery Channel or something like that, where it's like um, the tales of foreigners getting stuck in a country, yeah, and yeah, getting yeah. locked up in jail. Show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was quite <laughs> cool because we met a Canadian guy who was travelling with us, and he was going to come and meet us in Guatemala afterwards, and and he was actually in the city, so I went out to the, you know, got in trouble, came back to the main city, and I managed just to bump into him at a bar and like. Bob, you wouldn't just fucking believe what happened to me. And he's like, that's awesome. Let's get drunk and we'll go to Guatemala together tomorrow. <laughs> and then we ended up going to Guatemala and, yeah, living on the lake for a couple of weeks. It was awesome. Well, well. Yeah. <laughs> Incredible. All right, um, last question before I wrap it up. Yeah. Um, I know that you were sort of on the side when you are in, working in Shanghai. You are also, um, I think this is how you sort of, well, I, I think you met Reese, but um, sort of involved sort of casually with sort of the local Music scene in in Shanghai. Yes, yeah, yeah that's how yeah. I met Reese. One of his uh, CD launches. I basically he had an ad or a little blurb at the bottom of one of his ads. If you want to help out, give me an email. I just sent him an email, and yeah, that's how I met him, helping him on one of his CD releases. That's cool. Um, so the question I've got is, what what are the main differences between Chinese musicians and Australian musicians? Um. Australian or Western in general? Western in general. Uh, yeah. Um, musicians in themselves as in technically or just how they present themselves, uh, personality? Just... More, so, more so just the way that they handle themselves. But, I mean, I, I, the technic- technicality side of things probably not um, so much. Just, I guess, the, the Chinese, I guess, in general, it, it, I guess it sort of just stems from them and their personality is that they, do, they don't seem to take it as fun as, the Westerners do. Like, the Westerners just do it and get up there and play. Whether they make it or not, it doesn't matter. They just they can play an instrument. They say, let's get together and, you know, let's let's play and why not? You know, we make something out of it. It doesn't matter. Whereas the Chinese, I think, whether they think that they don't know how to go about it, that once you play half a dozen gigs, we should be big by now. We should be playing, you know, <laughs> um, you know, first, first, you know, the best slot of the night and that sort of stuff. And, you know, they, you, you can just see that they don't get into it and have as much fun on stage as the Westerners do. They quite they they take it quite serious, and it's all about the technicality. And if they fuck up at the end of it, you see them talk to one another and discuss how that how we can do this better next time, and you know this and that. And it's just not fun for them. It's it's it almost seems like a, not a job for them, and it almost seems like they're in it to get somewhere with it. Yeah, and. Yeah. It sounds like it sounds like a lot of Western metal bands, to be honest. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, it's very, yeah, it's almost true. Yeah, it's almost true. Yeah, and I mean, I used to do a night there monthly, and you know, I did a couple of nights with Reese as well. But I used to do a night monthly, and one of the things was I couldn't pay them that great because mm-hmm. you know the door charge. So one of the things I'd do is I'd sort of um, shout them dinner. We used to have a nice Chinese restaurant above the bar that I do, so I'd shout everybody dinner. And if I had a night on with sort of three Chinese bands. But I'd all just sit there in silence. And I'm like, dudes, talk. Like, you're all in bands. You all know each other. You're all just have fun. Talk, you know, talk about this or that. I'd take three Western bands up there and there'd be drinks going around and people <laughs> talking and having fun. And, you know, they're like, ah, whatever, you know, you play. It doesn't matter if you make a mistake. Who cares? Let's go out and have a good night. Whereas the Chinese are like, oh, guys, let's get out there. We've got to get that song that we mucked up, you know. And, oh, right. Uh, yeah, yeah. I don't know. It's, it's really hard. But I guess it all just stems from their, their personality, from, you know, having to study hard. And, you know, they're just an awkward group of people to socialize yeah. in general. Yeah. You know, and the, the, only, the only musicians, that, Chinese musicians that I ever saw having fun on stage 
were generally the ones that would hang out with Westerners a lot. And I'm not trying to say to denote either us, but they just generally were a lot looser and happy to be on stage and jump around and, you know, get fun and have a beer beside them on the guitar amp and drink it and, you know, talk to the crowd and, you know, hang around and watch the band afterwards and, you know, I guess make a I'm, night of it. Yeah, and I guess, I guess you know, if they're either playing with Westerners or they're hanging out with a lot of, uh, lot of Westerners, they probably don't feel like they're getting judged so much by to the, their local friends or, or acquaintances or things like that because, you know, from a Western point of view, you know, most of us really don't care. <laughs> the care factor is pretty, yeah, yeah, exactly. pretty low. Exactly. So I guess that the guard can, the guard can come down a bit. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, I mean, that's uh, everything with the Chinese society. There's a lot of show, don't show, you know, don't show face, you know, you always got to be, keep your head down and, Get on with your day and do what you got to do. Don't try and step out of line in any way, form. You know, wake up, go to work in the morning, do your job, come home. Don't complain about it. Just get it done. You know, and then you know, go to school, come home, do study, make the best results you can. Nothing about getting out there and seeing the world and socialising. You know, all right, leave high school, meet a girl, get married, have two children. Nothing about travelling or getting to know each other first, or you know meeting a few women until you find the right one or, you know, just having fun or, you know, it was all just about, it's just very regimented almost. It's very, very robotic in a way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah incredible, yeah. incredible. All right, man. Well, I'm going to wrap it up now, but um, I'm very curious to see what the what the next sort of 12, 12 to 18 months are in store for you, especially if uh, you happen to come across the, the right website with the right details of uh, what's going on overseas. Yeah, yeah, totally, totally. Yeah, yeah, so do I. All right, take care, man. Thanks, everyone. Hope you enjoyed the podcast with Nath. I'll have some links in the show notes if you want to check out a little bit more uh, with what Nath's done over the years. Um, I'll get some uh, info from him to chuck up on the website. And if you want to reach out to him, there'll be some details there as well. But uh, a massive thanks to Nath for for helping out and and also the recommendation. And a big big shout-out to um, a number of people that have been recommending me um, lots of interesting people, random people that I don't know, I've never heard of, but have some amazing stories. And um, this is the whole point of this podcast is to try and get out of my comfort zone a bit and talk to different people and and learn something, learn more and more and more. So um, thank you so much for those people that are taking the time to, to make contact. And I encourage everybody to throw some suggestions my way of who you think might be someone interesting. And I'm, I'm not always looking for the big names or um, the, the most obvious of people. If you know somebody uh, in your day-to-day uh, happenings, you might uh, there might be somebody that has a really cool story or an experience that they've been through, something interesting or uh, something that uh, an interesting lesson that should be be learned by more people or uh, whatever it might be. But um, I'm all ears and always open to suggestions. If you want to find me on the internet, andysocial.net is the best place to start. But uh, you can find me on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Tumblr, YouTube. Just search for Andy Dowling and you will find me there. Or you can search for Andy Social Podcast and you will find me very easily. Um, if you want to share this episode or a number of other episodes around, uh, the best way to do that is via YouTube. Most people are familiar with YouTube and it's very easy to share these episodes around. So um, that's the best way of doing that. And it def- definitely helps the podcast as well. That's enough for this week. Uh, heaps of episodes uh, coming up. I've got a few in the bank. 
I have a couple of uh, really cool ones coming up. One that's a very, very left field. I'm hoping I haven't actually recorded it. And I keep mentioning this. Uh, I've mentioned, the, I think, the last episode as well. I've got to stop jinxing myself. But, um, yeah, hopefully you guys will get a, a pleasant surprise when you see uh, who this person will be. But um, lots of cool stuff. Doing a bit of traveling coming up as well. I'll be in Adelaide uh, the first weekend of a, of February, I should say. And uh, if you've got any suggestions of people that I should speak to in February, uh, in Adelaide in February, yes, I am dying here in this heat, uh, please contact me, let me know, because um, I do have a couple of little uh, windows of opportunity between the other guests that I'll be talking to, and I'm always looking for somebody different, especially uh, somebody that's outside of the music industry, just for a different perspective and something new to learn. So, all ears, let me know. All right, guys, until next week, thank you so much. Keep spreading the word. Keep liking and commenting and doing all those little things on social media. It all helps. And uh, we'll speak soon. Thanks, guys. You're ready. You're ready.